Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Well, hello there. It's David Cox, so it is. Uh, is it? Ah, oh, lovely. <laughs> and I'm Josh Matheson. And this week we are looking at chapter six of The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Last mm. week we ended with the shopkeeper chemist man going, oh, it wasn't Shrek 9, was it? That mm. killed Emily, which kind of makes it very suspicious because I don't think that that is information that is privy to the whole town. So oh. somebody seems to have some kind of reason for knowing that. And since he runs the chemists, it's a little bit suspect. So maybe someone's been stealing from the stores or... And we've got an inquest coming up. Yes. That is the title of the chapter. And also he mentioned that because of said chemist information, he would probably have to provide some uh, evidence. Yes, he said that he would have to give testimony, which was something we weren't privy to because he seemed to whisper it in Poirot's ear. And so because Hastings didn't overhear it, we didn't overhear it. So we're not actually sure what he said. So Agatha's keeping us in the dark there, probably trying to create Mm. some intrigue and some suspense. Classic Aggie. Mm. It's this sort of like um, limited narrator's eye, isn't it? Because obviously in most books, you're almost given the sort of like luxury of knowing more than everyone. But actually, it's quite a novelty to not necessarily to be the most savant person in this book. We all feel sick compared to the (laughs) batashed Belgian. See, for me, this this chapter, it feels like it's being set up like... um... I don't know, this is just where my head went when I saw that the, what the chapter was called. Like um, like the court case in Alice. Yes. Mm. Alice who, in Wonderland. Stole you know, where, who stole the tarts? When all the characters come back in. So it feels like it could be quite, quite a Mega fun, action-packed. It might be. No, it's the um, quintet at the end of the first half of West Side Story. Uh, that's, that's what it is. I was going to say one more, what's it, one day more or whatever it is, where yeah, everyone, where everyone yeah. gets to sing about where they're currently at. And they do it in Hamilton <laughs> no, as well. Yeah. It's it's Dancing Queen at the end of Mamma Mia, where everyone dresses <laughs> up like... In blurs. <laughs> I think something else that's worth noting is that Mrs. Cavendish is hoping for some drama. She's wanting Evie and Alfred to run into each other so that yeah. sparks fly a little bit. She's obviously not enjoying the yeah. fact that people aren't saying what they mean. So, yeah. yeah, always one to kind of keep things interesting. She's wanting the boxing gloves to come off and the brawl to start. So we'll see if any of that happens in this next chapter. We even get any explosive arguments between Some the characters of the house. Oh, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say it's been a very dirt-free book so far. I've been hoping to hear yeah. about every sordid little secret and detail of these people's lives. And we've not yeah. kind of gotten it yet. I just want to watch Josh have an argument with himself. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing hands at himself. Like, is he yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have puppets to help me. Just yes. Oh, there you go. The next time you can you dig out pumpkin head, Josh. And, uh, oh, you yeah, I will. An argument with yourself. <laughs> yes, I will. Oh, dear. Well, on that note, shall we dive in and see if pumpkin head is necessary? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Stop. 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 Hello, Patreon subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Patty Patreon. If, if if you're not, you won't know what I just did there. You'll just think mm. of a silly voice. Silly voice. There was so much more to the voice. 
Mm. <laughs> you also won't mean pumpkin head if you're not a Patreon subscriber. So there you go. That's worth the uh, subscription yeah. fee straight away. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Let's dive in. Here we go. Chapter six. The inquest. In the interval before the inquest, Poirot was unfailing in his activity. Twice he was closeted with Mr. Wells. He also took long walks into the country. <laughs> Stop. I was waiting for one of you to chuckle. What does closeted oh, no. with someone Maybe mean? Like, are the two of them in the closet? Sharing the room? Yeah. yeah. Oh, if you are closeted with someone, you are talking privately to them. He also took long walks into the country. I rather resented his not taking me into his confidence, the more so as I could not in the least guess what he was driving at. It occurred to me that he might have been making inquiries at Rake's farm, so finding him out when I called at Leastway's cottage on Wednesday evening, I walked over there by the fields, hoping to meet him. But there was no sign of him, and I hesitated to go right up to the farm itself. As I walked away, I met an aged rustic who leered at me cunningly. Oh, what does an aged rustic sound like? Can you make him the oldest sounding man in human history? Like he's about to probably die. So can we make him a, like, can you, what would a 190 year old man sound like? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think because it says, what was he called? An aged what? Rustic. Rustic. Oh, I think the, he works at the farm. Either yeah. he's the farmer or he works at the farm or. Well, maybe if you want to give him like a slightly farmery accent, like I'm down with that, as well as making him, you know, really old, just kind okay. of give him, give him a lilt. <laughs> <laughs> old people take their time, Matt. Okay. They do. They do. <clears throat> yeah. You from the hole, yeah? He asked. Yes, I'm looking for a friend of mine whom I thought might have walked this way. A, a, a little chap, as waves his hands as he talks. One of them Belgies from the village. <laughs> Belgies. Oh, <geez>. Belgies. <laughs> Some kind of racial slur. Some like, oh, yeah, slur. one of those Belgies. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Solving crimes! Solving crimes! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I said eagerly. Has he been here then? Oh, uh, he's been here all right enough. M -m More than once, too. F friend of yours, is he? Oh, uh, you gentlemen from the hall, you're a pretty lot. And he leered more jocosely than ever. Why, did the gentleman from the hall come here often? I asked, as carelessly as I could. He winked at me knowingly. One does, mister. Naming no names, mine. And a very liberal gentleman, too. Oh, thank you, sir, I'm sure. I walked on sharply. Evelyn Howard had been right then, and I experienced a sharp twinge of disgust as I thought of Alfred Inglethorpe's liberality with another woman's money. Had that piquant gypsy face been at the bottom of the crime, 
Or was it the baser mainspring of money? Probably a judicious mixture of both. Oh, so basically that old man has confirmed that somebody from Styles frequents the farm a lot. The rumour is that it's Alfred sleeps with the farmer's wife, right? That's the yes. that's the hearsay. Well, that's what Everly's been saying. But obviously he isn't confirmed that it's actually mm. Alfred. I'm, I yeah. don't know. Maybe liberal gentleman means that. Maybe the beard and stuff makes him liberal. Maybe that makes him yeah, a bit of a lefty. Raging lefty. Yeah, he wasn't like downing some almond milk on the way there. Really. Yeah. <laughs> He's walking there barefoot with a poncho on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On one point, Poirot seemed to have a curious obsession. He once or twice observed to me that he thought Dorcas must have made an error in fixing the time of the quarrel. He suggested to her repeatedly that it was 4.30 and not 4 o'clock when she heard the voices. But Dorcas was unshaken. Quite an hour or even more had elapsed between the time when she heard the voices and 5 o'clock when she had taken tea to her mistress. The inquest was held on Friday at the Stylites Arms in the village. Poirot and I sat together, not being required to give evidence. The preliminaries were gone through. The jury viewed the body, and John Cavendish gave evidence of identification. Further questioned, he described his awakening in the early hours of the morning, and the circumstances of his mother's death. The medical evidence was next taken. There was a breathless hush, and every eye was fixed on the famous London specialist, who was known to be one of the greatest authorities of the day on the subject of toxicology. In a few brief words, he summed up the result of the post-mortem. Shorn of its medical phraseology and technicalities, it amounted to the fact that Mrs. Inglethorpe had met her death as a result of strychnine poisoning. Judging from the quantity recovered, she must not have taken less than three quarters of a grain of strychnine, but probably one grain or slightly over. This just seems to be some kind of public forum where they're almost airing all the evidence about the fact that she was murdered. So they're like, yeah. come on, everybody. Come, come yeah. in. Here's come the body. The Grab a pint. Let everyone have a good look at it. Yeah, in the pub as well. We're in the pub. Yeah. Oh yeah. Here you go. Here's the old lady. She's dead. Turns out it was poison. Who'd have thunk oh, it? Oh. <laughs> I told you, Mary. I told you, didn't I? Yeah. Pub got an offer: post mortem, a pie, and a pint for <laughs> eight pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll do that. You remember last time? Yeah, I know. Got that these... guy that got done with a knife. Oh, yeah, and a lovely pie. Oh, that was good, wasn't it? It's very odd, <laughs> isn't it? But then, okay, so, I mean, at least it's the case that we know that there was foul play involved because unless she committed suicide, which I doubt, you know, then then someone's poisoned her. Is it possible she could have swallowed the poison <laughs> by accident? Asked the coroner. <laughs> the squeak at the top was so good. What's hilarious is, is that this doesn't seem inappropriate now because we're in a pub with a dead body. <laughs> like, yeah. Someone like, then. yeah. On the snooker table. Jovial. Yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a sheet on it. Some tarpaulin. There's like some quiches on the side, some crisps and some peanuts. <laughs> I know somebody's ordered the sharing nachos and is trying to watch yeah. the football. And they're like, shut up! <laughs> on the same table. They're just like, oh, yeah. it's fine. 
I should consider it very unlikely. Strychnine is not used for domestic purposes, as some poisons are, and there are restrictions placed on its sale. Does anything in your examination lead you to determine how the poison was administered? No. You arrived at Styles before, Dr. Wilkins, I believe. <laughs> that is so. The motor met me uh, just outside the lodge gates, and I hurried there as fast as I could. Will you relate to us exactly what happened next? Uh, I, I entered Mrs. Inglethorpe's room. She was, at that moment, in a typical titanic convulsion. She turned towards me and gasped out, Alfred, Alfred. Could the strychnine have been administered in Mrs. Inglethorpe's after-dinner coffee, which was taken to her by her husband? Possibly. He's turning a little bit game show hosty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, okay, you're I'm not against a... it. I'm Tony <laughs> Blackburn. Like, yeah, it's like, come on down. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the styles. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gentle evolution of some of my voices over the yeah, uh, over the books, Go with it. Know? Go with it. Possibly, uh, but strychnine is a fairly rapid drug in its action. The symptoms appear from one to two hours after it has been swallowed. It is uh, retarded under certain conditions, none of which, however, appear to have been present in this case. I presume Mrs. Inglethorpe took the coffee after dinner about eight o'clock, whereas the symptoms did not manifest themselves until the early hours of the morning, which on the face of it points to the drug having been taken much later in the evening. Mrs. Inglethorpe was in the habit of drinking a cup of cocoa in the middle of the night. Could the strychnine have been administered in that? Um, <laughs> this is for five thousand pounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, you've won a car. <laughs> Congratulations! No, I myself took a sample of the cocoa remaining in the saucepan and had it analyzed. There was no strychnine present. I heard Poirot chuckle softly beside me. How did you know? I whispered, listen. I should say, the doctor was continuing, that I would have been considerably surprised at any other result. Why? Uh, simply because strychnine has an unusually bitter taste. It can be detected in a solution of 1 in 70,000 and can only be disguised by some strongly flavored substance. Cocoa would be quite powerless to mask it. One of the jury wanted to know if the same objection applied to coffee. No, coffee has a bitter taste of its own, which will probably cover the taste of strychnine. Then you consider it more likely that the drug was administered in the coffee, but that for some reason unknown, its action was delayed. Uh, yes, but the cup being completely smashed, there is no possibility of analyzing its contents. This concluded Dr. Baustein's evidence. Dr. Wilkins corroborated it on all points. Sounded as to the possibility of suicide, he repudiated it utterly. The deceased, he said, suffered from a weak heart, but otherwise enjoyed perfect health, and was of a cheerful and well-balanced disposition. She would be one of the last people to take her own life. Lawrence Cavendish was next called. His evidence was quite unimportant being a mere repetition of that of his brother. Just as he was about to step down, 
he paused and said, rather hesitatingly, uh, I should like to make a suggestion, if I may. He glanced deprecatingly at the coroner, who replied briskly, Certainly, Mr. Cavendish. We are here to arrive at the truth of this matter and welcome anything that may lead to further elucidation. Just an idea of mine, explained Lawrence. Of course, I may be quite wrong, uh, but it still seems to me that my mother's death might be accounted for by natural means. They found strychnine in her system. So what, that, almost, yeah. yeah, that's what I thought and you were a doctor. It's incredibly hard to get hold of. Mm. It, like, it's not like it's naturally reoccurring in the body. Unless somebody went to all odd. the trouble of um, killing somebody of natural causes and then injecting strychnine into their bloodstream <laughs> to, to mask the death weapon. Sorry, I don't how know. do you kill someone of natural causes? I don't know, but I don't, I don't know. Force feed them I a sunflower. I I'm going to sit here and wait until you die, and then it will be murder. <laughs> Natural <laughs> causes. <laughs> I died of old age, but they watched me do it. So, yeah, so they murdered me. Murder? <laughs> yeah. And after I was dead, they put poison in my bloodstream. <laughs> <laughs> no, they smashed a cup on the floor and then jumped out the window uh, and yeah, did all, yeah. did all the flowers. That that's brilliant. That made that's made my night. That has. <laughs> you could do an anti. You could do an anti murder. Dies of you but killed you try me. And make it look like, just to be annoying, you try and make it look like a murder. Yeah. Just to like just for a bit of a laugh. <laughs> it turns out it was in her wheel just to make a bit of drama so that everyone was. She, she wanted everyone to talk about her around town. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> you always wanted to have a murder mystery birthday party. Yeah. Thought, hey, all <laughs> oh, the local players could do it for the local. I'll have a murder mystery funeral instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love that. I would absolutely love it at a funeral if somebody put that in their will and testament. We was like, we're just going to do the will reading. One of you did it. <laughs> like, one of you killed me. <laughs> you have That'd four hours to figure out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're like, we, be... we watched her. We were with her yeah. by her bedside. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> she, she had, she it had, was cancer. You know, <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was pretty terminal. You know, she was in a hospice. <laughs> it was so good. Mm, how do you make that out, Mr. Cavendish? Well... My mother, at the time of her death, and for some time before it, was taking a tonic containing strychnine. Ah, said the coroner. The jury looked up, interested. I, I, I believe, continued Lawrence, that there have been cases where the cumulative effect of a drug administered for, for some time has ended by causing death. Also, is it not possible that she may have taken an overdose of her medicine by accident? Uh, this is the first that we've heard of the deceased taking strychnine at the time of her death. We are much obliged to you, Mr. Cavendish! Mr. Wilkins was recalled and ridiculed the idea. What Mr. Cavendish suggests is quite <laughs> impossible! <laughs> Any doctor could tell you the same. Uh, strychnine is, in a certain sense, a cumulative poison. But it would be quite impossible for it to result in sudden death in this way. 
there would <laughs> have to be a long period of chronic symptoms, which would have at once attracted my attention. The whole thing is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just love that suddenly his his testimony has no credibility just because of his voice. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he's That's talking sense. Characters to be fair. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> and the second suggestion that Mrs. Inglethorpe may have inadvertently taken an overdose. Three or even four doses would not have resulted in death. Mrs. Inglethorpe always had an extra large amount of medicine made up at a time. She dealt with Coots, uh, the cash chemist, and Tad Minster. She would have had to take very nearly the whole bottle to account for the amount of strychnine found at the post-mortem. That's the name of the game show. <laughs> Definitely, yes. <laughs> then you consider that we may dismiss the tonic as not being in any way instrumental in causing her death? Certainly, the supposition is ridiculous. The same juryman who had interrupted before here suggested that the chemist who made up the medicine might have committed an error. That, of course, is always possible, replied the doctor. But Dorcas, who was the next witness to be called, dispelled even that possibility. The medicine had not been newly made up. On the contrary, Mrs. Inglethorpe had taken the last dose on the day of her death. So the question of the tonic was finally abandoned, and the coroner proceeded with his task. Having elicited from Dorcas how she had been awakened by the violent ringing of her mistress's bell, and had subsequently roused the household, he passed to the subject of the quarrel on the preceding afternoon. Dorcas' evidence on this point was substantially what Poirot and I had already heard, so I will not repeat it here. I really appreciate Agatha not doing that, because how many times in, in like, Pinocchio, Pinocchio <laughs> did we go over oh, the same uh, story again and yeah. again and again? Like, this is how you write. Collodi, yeah. read this. This is Economy. how you... Yes. <laughs> the next witness was Mary Cavendish. She stood very upright and spoke in a low, clear and perfectly composed voice. In answer to the coroner's question, she told how her alarm clock having aroused her at 4.30 as usual, she was dressing when she was startled by the sound of something heavy falling. Mm, that would have been the table by the bed, commented the coroner. I opened my door, continued Mary, and listened. In a few minutes, the bell rang violently. Dorcas came running down and woke my husband, and we all went to my mother-in-law's room. But it was locked. The coroner interrupted her. I really do not think that we need to trouble you further on that point. We know all that can be known of the subsequent happenings, but I should be obliged if you would tell us all what you overheard of the quarrel the day before. I... There was a faint insolence in her voice. She raised her hand and adjusted the ruffle of lace at her neck, turning her head a little as she did so. And quite spontaneously, the thought flashed across my mind. She is gaining time. 
Yes, I understand, continued the coroner deliberately, that you were sitting reading on the bench just outside the long window of the boudoir. That is so, is it not? This was news to me, and glancing sideways at Poirot, I fancied that it was news to him as well. There was the faintest pause, the mere hesitation of a moment, before she answered. Yes, that is so. And the the boudoir window was open, was it not? Surely her face grew a little paler as she answered. Yes. Then you cannot have failed to hear the voices inside, especially as they were raised in anger. In fact, they would be more audible where you were than in the hall. Possibly. Will you repeat to us what you overheard of the quarrel? I really do not remember hearing anything. Do you mean to say that you did not hear voices? Oh, yes, I heard the voices, but I did not hear what they said. A faint spot of colour came into her cheek. I'm not in the habit of listening to private conversations. The coroner persisted. Mm, And you remember nothing at all? Nothing, Mrs. Cavendish. Not one stray word or phrase to make you realise that it was a private conversation. She paused and seemed to reflect, still outwardly as calm as ever. Yes, I remember. Mrs. Inglethorpe said something. I do not remember exactly what. About causing scandal between husband and wife. Ah-ha-ha! The coroner leant back, satisfied. That corresponds with what Dorcas heard. But excuse me, Mrs. Cavendish, although you realise it was a private conversation, did you not move away? You remained where you were. I caught the momentary gleam of her tawny eyes as she raised them. I felt certain that at that moment she would willingly have torn the little lawyer with his insinuations into pieces. But she replied quietly enough, No, I was very comfortable where I was. I fixed my mind on my book. Mm, And that is all you can tell us? That is all. The examination was over, though I doubted if the coroner was entirely satisfied with it. I think he suspected that Mary Cavendish could tell more if she chose, Amy Hill, shop assistant, was called next, and deposed to having sold a will form on the afternoon of the 17th to William Earle, undergardener at Stiles. William Earle and Manning succeeded her, and testified to witnessing a document. Manning fixed the time at about 4.30. William was of the opinion that it was rather earlier. Cynthia Murdoch came next. She had, however, little to tell. She had known nothing of the tragedy until awakened by Mrs. Cavendish. You did not hear the table fall? No, I was fast asleep. The coroner smiled. A good conscience makes a sound sleeper, he observed. Thank you, Miss Murdoch. That is all. (laughs) Could you imagine if that was the whole testimony? Did you hear the table? No. Okay. Bye. Cheers. (laughs) That was invaluable. Thank you very much.
Couldn't have been without that. Miss Howard produced the letter written to her by Mrs. Inglethorpe on the evening of the 17th. Poirot and I had, of course, already seen it. It added nothing to our knowledge of the tragedy. The following is a facsimile. Styles Court, Essex. Handwritten note. July 17th. <laughs> My dear Evelyn, can we not bury the hatchet? I have found it hard to forgive the things you said against my dear husband, but I am an old woman and very fond of you. Yours affectionately, Emily Inglethorpe. <laughs> it was handed to the jury, who scrutinised it attentively. Mm, I fear it does not help us much, said the coroner with a sigh. There is no mention of any of the events of that afternoon. Plain as a pike staff to me, <laughs> said Miss Howard shortly. It shows clearly enough that my poor old friend had just found out she'd been made a fool of. It says nothing of that kind in the letter, the coroner pointed out. No, because Emily never could bear to put herself in the wrong. But I know her. She wanted me back. But she wasn't going to own that I'd been right. She went round about. Most people do. Don't believe in it myself. Mr. Wells smiled faintly. So, I noticed, did several of the jury. Miss Howard was obviously quite a public character. Anyway, all of this tomfoolery is a great waste of time, continued the lady, glancing up and down the jury disparagingly. Talk, 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 when all the time we know perfectly well. The coroner interrupted her in an agony of apprehension. Thank you, Miss Howard. That is all. I fancy he breathed a sigh of relief when she complied. Then came the sensation of the day. The coroner called Albert Mace, chemist's assistant. It was our agitated young man of the pale face, in answer to the coroner's questions, he explained that he was a qualified pharmacist, but had only recently come to this particular shop, as the assistant formerly there had just been called up for the army. These preliminaries completed, the coroner proceeded to business. Mr. Mace, have you lately sold strychnine to any unauthorised person? Yes, sir. I thought this was meant to be something that was meant to be hard to get and, like, not many people had it. Like, the, he's just the, like the, the skivvy that works there. It's just like, oh, yeah, you go. It's like he's just gone down Boots and bought it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, hey, Boots person, can I just and buy some, some deadly poison, please? Yeah. Exactly. Get it over the counter. <laughs> oh, it's, two, it's three for two. Oh, <laughs> oh lovely. <laughs> I'll get a meal deal. Do you want the regular or the raspberry flavour? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the raspberry like? It's all right. Last person that tried it didn't really seem to come. Well, it's the last thing you eat, isn't it? When was this? Last Monday night. Monday? Not not Tuesday? No, sir. Monday the 16th. Will you tell us to whom you sold it? You could have heard a pin drop. Yes, sir. That was to Mr. Inglethorpe. <gasps> oh. Don't be fooled. I still think that this is a red herring. 
Oh, of course it is. It's like literally yeah, it's like, like all fingers pointing intentionally. You literally have to you like, sorry, I literally have to arrest you now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, but I think because Poirot's already worked out it's not him, because, but that's essentially what he said last chapter. And he was like, I can get him off and I know like and if I don't say something. So I wonder if at the end of this chapter Poirot's gonna take the stand and like make people Maybe, kill. yeah. Mm. Every eye turned simultaneously to where Alfred Inglethorpe was sitting, impassive and wooden. <laughs> Wooden-handed. <laughs> <laughs> he started slightly as the damning words fell from the young man's lips. I half thought he was going to rise from his chair, but he remained seated, although a remarkably well-acted expression of astonishment rose in his face. "'You are sure of what you say?' asked the coroner sternly. "'Quite sure, sir. "'Are you in the habit of selling strychnine indiscriminately over the counter?' "'The wretched young man wilted visibly under the coroner's frown. "'Oh, oh no, sir, of course not. "'But seeing it was Mr Inglethorpe of the hall, I thought there was no harm in it. "'He said it was to poison a dog.' <laughs> oh fine oh that's fine then no worries not like you know a pest a dog yeah. a dog yeah. oh my god inwardly i sympathized it was only human nature to endeavor to please the hall especially when it might result in custom being transferred from coots to the local establishment mm, is it not customary for anyone purchasing poison to sign a book Yes, sir. Mr. Inglethorpe did so. Have you got the book here? Yes, sir. It was produced, and with a few words of stern censure, the coroner dismissed the wretched Mr. Mace. Then, amidst a breathless silence, Alfred Inglethorpe was called. Did he realise, I wondered, how closely the halter was being drawn around his neck? The coroner went straight to the point. On Monday evening last, did you purchase strychnine for the purpose of poisoning a dog? Inglethorpe replied with perfect calmness. No, <laughs> I did not. There is no dog at Stiles, except an outdoor sheepdog, which is in perfect health. A salty Some sea salty dogs. sea dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I like the game show questions again. I just like literally imagining with like a stack. Yeah, with postmortem on it. Literally cards that he's reading. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you deny absolutely having purchased strychnine from Albert Mace on Monday last. I do. Do you also deny this? The coroner handed him the register in which his signature was inscribed. Certainly I do. The handwriting is quite different from mine. I will show you. He took an old envelope out of his pocket and wrote his name on it, handing it to the jury. It was certainly utterly dissimilar. <laughs> I mean, then, he could just be going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did it with his left That's hand. Match. Yeah, and he, <laughs> yeah. And he like, put it in his fist. Yeah, Mister <laughs> Inglethorpe. <laughs> See, it's completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that certainly proves it can't have been you. Yeah. <laughs> then what is your explanation of Mr. Mace's statement? Alfred Inglethorpe replied imperturbably. 
Mr. Mace must have been mistaken. The coroner hesitated for a moment, and then said, Mr. Inglethorpe, as a mere matter of form, would you mind telling us where you were on the evening of Monday, July 16th? Really, I, I cannot remember. That is absurd, Mr. Inglethorpe, said the coroner sharply. Think again. Inglethorpe shook his head. I cannot tell you. I have an idea that I was out walking. In what direction? <laughs> I really can't remember. Why is that such a face. weird question? <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, like that walking? Or that which direction? Thing. Yeah. Which di- what? Left or, or like, right? You know, where were you going? Surely would make more sense than which direction? Yeah. Maybe Due north. Where are you off to, mate? <laughs> yeah. Like, north. Like what? Any one time, like no north northeast. I think I was. Yes, exactly. I think I was walking north. Wrong! It was northeast. Take him away. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't remember. The coroner's face grew graver. Were you in company with anyone? No. Did you meet anyone on your walk? No. That is a pity," said the coroner dryly. I am to take it, then, that you declined to say where you were at the time that Mr. Mace positively recognised you as entering the shop to purchase strychnine? If you like to take it that way, yes. Be careful, Mr. Inglethorpe. Poirot was fidgeting nervously. Sacre, he murmured. Does this imbecile of a man want to be arrested? Inglethorpe was indeed creating a bad impression. His futile denials would not have convinced a child. The coroner, however, passed briskly to the next point, and Poirot drew a deep breath of relief. You had a discussion with your wife on Tuesday afternoon? Pardon me, interrupted Alfred Inglethorpe. You have been misinformed. I had no quarrel with my dear wife. The whole story is absolutely untrue. I was absent from the house the entire afternoon. Have you anyone who can testify to that? You have my word, (laughs) said Inglethorpe haughtily. The coroner did not trouble to reply. There are two witnesses who will swear to having heard your disagreement with Mrs. Inglethorpe. Those witnesses were mistaken. I was puzzled. The man spoke with such quiet assurance that I was staggered. I looked at Poirot. There was an expression of exultation on his face which I could not understand. Was he at last convinced of Alfred Inglethorpe's guilt? Mr. Inglethorpe, said the coroner, you have heard your wife's dying words repeated here. Can you explain them in any way? Certainly I can. You can? It seems to me very simple. The room was dimly lighted. Dr. Bowerstein is much of my height and build, and like me, wears a beard. In the dim light and suffering as she was, my poor wife mistook him for me. Ah, murmured Poirot to himself, but it is an idea, that. You think it's true, I whispered. I do not say that, but it is truly an ingenious supposition. You read my wife's last words as an accusation. Inglethorpe was continuing. They were, on the contrary, 
an appeal to me. The coroner reflected a moment. Then he said, I believe, Mr. Inglethorpe, that you yourself poured out the coffee and took it to your wife that evening. I poured it out, yes, but I did not take it to her. I meant to do so, but I was told that a friend was at the hall door, so I laid down the coffee on the hall table. When I came through the hall again a few minutes later, it was gone. This statement might or might not be true, but it did not seem to me to improve matters much for Mr. Inglethorpe. In any case, he had had ample time to introduce the poison. At that point, Poirot nudged me gently, indicating two men who were sitting together near the door. One was a little, sharp, dark, ferret-faced man. The other was tall and fair. I questioned Poirot mutely. He put his lips to my ear. Do you know who that little man is? I shook my head. That is Detective Inspector James Jap of Scotland Yard. Jimmy Jap. The other man is from Scotland Yard too. Things are moving quickly, my friend. I stared at the two men intently. There was certainly nothing of the policeman about them. I should never have suspected them of being official personages. I was still staring when I was startled and recalled by the verdict being given. Willful murder against some person or persons unknown. End of chapter. Oh, it gone done a verdict. I don't understand the concept of the inquest. It doesn't seem like an official thing, mm. and yet it is. And it's yet like it post-mortem slash inquest, yeah. Slash bingo night. It seems to be like town justice, like how they do it in like Robin Hood times. Do you know where? It's right. like, I caught him stealing an apple, and it's like, oh, well, what's the evidence? And they're like, everyone decides, hang him, hang him. Do you know what I mean? It's like that mob, <laughs> court, mob yeah, justice Yeah, the court thing. of King Solomon, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you think that by like what nineteen? When was this written? Nineteen forty. Twenty. Oh, is it, when was it? Is it nineteen twenty? First World War. I want to say twenty-three. Of course, it was First World War. Mm. I was Must thinking been... she wrote it. Yeah, because he's back from the front, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah, you think Ward that even. you know we'd be a bit more civilized by then, and there'd be policeman procedure and stuff like that. But hey, mm. no one locked down the crime scene, so obviously not. And Who no one actually invited for... the police to the house. Poirot came yeah. in and he's a PI. He's like got no oh, authority yeah. whatsoever. I can just imagine like the sort of airline lights and like big foam fingers just pointing to Inglethorpe. Yeah, and I'm just it's literally, true. I'm only ever thinking about, okay, well, so who did, if he's, if everything, if we're to believe that everything he's saying is true, then who went past and has he put the yeah. mug down for two seconds? Yeah. And someone's dressed up as him and gone to the, the chemists. Well, this is why I think, yeah. yeah, definitely the idea of a fake beard and fake clothes and, Fate wouldn't hand. That sort of thing. It's got to be a thing, hasn't it? Mm. And all this, like, oh, we overheard a discussion. Well, it wasn't him. It must have been somebody else dressed up as him, which was weird. And might, yeah. I don't know, it might even mean that Mrs. Inglethorpe was in on it. Like, she knew that it... I don't understand. I, I like understand. that Mrs. Cavendish got sort of ratted out a little bit. And obviously, because obviously I've got a horse in that race in terms of... Yeah. Like, oh, you have she's, not, she's not admitted something. Ooh, she's not hang. telling yeah the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth she's kind of a she's meeting definitely, bit, she's definitely she? on the podium isn't she 
for yeah. that. Yeah. But equally, I'm quite pleased that they made a conscious effort to mention that Cynthia seems completely innocent in all this, mm. which might mean she's not. Yeah, it's That's true. true. That's true. It's true. You don't want and to La- be, yeah, Lawrence want to is deflecting. Lawrence is deflecting, who's who I've got in the race as well. He's going, oh no, yeah. it was probably natural causes. It's all good. So yeah, the, the only one I don't think it's possibly of being is Evelyn because she wouldn't have any quarrel. No, with uh, and she was away. Uh, that's not the, Dorcas. It wasn't Walker. there? Yeah, or Dorcas. It could be. Dor- and, I don't know. Could, could it? Be, I want to rule her out. How it could be. I'm trying to think how it could be John. Yeah, I feel like John seems pretty. It could be John because obviously he he now isn't the inheritor of the estate anymore, which he was before. Yeah, he's got a. He's so got he a, has he's a motive. Not to say he's mm. got a, a way to do it, but he's definitely got a motive for doing it. But mm. it's the same motive that Lawrence has, and kind of like and Mrs. Cavendish as well, because obviously if her husband inherits and she inherits, do you mean so? It's, they're all kind of linked, really. Mm. But no, it's it's getting it's it's good that the stakes are getting higher because now it's basically like you know Porosim has got a race against time to yeah. prove who actually killed him before the wrong person gets hanged. So I wonder if that's yeah. where the suspense is going to start coming from now, where it's like, can he solve it before an innocent man gets killed? Yeah. So everything's still to play for on our end. Mm. I hope you guys yeah. at home have written your suspects in a little envelope and kept it so that you can't change it and like you're you're <laughs> playing the game as well at home. Mm. But if you've got any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on the lazy book club at gmail.com. Or if you think you know who has done this, you can tell us on Twitter, of course, and our handle is at lazy book club pod. Yeah, we're on Insta as well. If you want to make a reel about us or something, we're at Lazy Book Club Pod. We're also at Lazy Book Club Pod on TikTok. We post videos every now and then. So if you're someone who hasn't subscribed to the Patreon, you can get a little taster of what our videos look like. Otherwise, Patreon is also where you'll find us, patreon.com forward slash Lazy Book Club Pod. And for the very low fee of $3 a month, you get an extra episode as well as access to all the videos of these episodes you can watch along with uh-huh. all the puppets and all of the other crazy hand gestures that these boys yeah. do. And we, and we as call we you Ian. And <laughs> like last week we had like a firework display. No, I don't make it. No, we didn't have that. You can't, people be <laughs> that's asking actually, money back. That's actually illegal. That is actually illegal. Now I think about yeah, it. Yeah, it is. Just just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very worth it. We were currently reading Grim Tales. The latest fairy tale went up to uh this week which is Stiltskin, that is now available on patreon so there are three extra episodes available on there if you subscribe but otherwise we will see you next week for chapter seven which is titled josh do you want to give us the title poirot pays his debts oh very ominous there his debts to who who knows maybe he's got some credit card debts (laughs) (laughs) someone goes to take his telly yeah. <laughs> I knew it was too expensive. Littlewood is not as good as it seems. What's that TV program with like the, the bailiffs turn up at people's houses? Can't, like, can't we... pay, we'll take it away. Yeah, that one. It. It's literally, that's what this is going to be this next episode. Brilliant. I cannot pay, therefore they must take it away. Oh, yeah, amazing. he hasn't paid off his mustache comb collection. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we will see you then for next week's episode, chapter seven. Bye. Bye. Bye.